The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. Blessings. I'm excited to get into the Word. We have a wonderful opportunity to grow together, to be led by the Holy Spirit together, and I know that God has great things for us. As we get into the Word, I want to encourage you, wherever you are, to take out your materials, your Bible, your note-taking materials, and let's focus, trust, and believe God for something great. I want to give you a few things that we're going to find as we get into the Word. Uh, One thing we're going to find is what God never does, but what we should do. There's something in the scripture that God never does, but we ought to do. We're going to find out what that is so that we can put it to practice. Another thing that we're going to find is what wages war against the word of God. There's something that's waging war against God's word, and when we can identify what that is, we can make sure that we're on the right side of those drawn battle lines. A third thing that we're going to find is how we need to think. I'm looking forward to getting to that portion Of the scripture here. But I want to start by uh, addressing what God never does and what we should always do. What God never does and what we should always do. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to open up to the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. I want to read a passage of scripture to you, and I want to give you a few other verses for your notes there. Malachi 3, verse 6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. It's something that God never does. It's something that God doesn't do. In fact, it's confirmed in the scripture, Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The book of James tells us that every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there's no change. So we understand that God's not changing. But he's got to call upon our lives to change. He never does it, but we ought to do it. You can take this down for your notes there, or you can turn there in your Bibles if you like. Philippians 1.6. It's a declaration that God, who began a wonderful and powerful work in you, will continue to do that work until the final day or the day of the Lord. That means that we should be in a constant state of change. That God is at work in us every single day, taking out the things that don't need to be present, bringing in the things that do need to be present. We are in a constant state of change. Now, like anything that God's doing in our lives, there's a challenge to this. Change has an enemy. You'll find that the enemy of change is tradition. I want to share with you this word this morning, but I want to tell you, it came to me through a revelation, one in the eldership. You you may know Tom, those of you who are Champions Church members. Tom came to me and he spoke to me and he said, hey, I have a revelation I want to share with you. I listened to it and was was moved by it. It was profound and powerful. I asked him to, to bring it and teach it. And he said, no, why don't you take it and carry it? And I'm grateful that he would bring it. And I want to embrace it today. At the foundation of his message was that tradition is the enemy of change. Now, as we look at this in the scripture and as we examine it, we're going to see a couple of things, some things that can be very helpful in our current circumstances and in our current situations. You know, our nation and the entire world is facing what is a a pandemic, a crisis, so to speak. But we can see that God moves during times of crisis, that he's doing something. Not in response, as if the crisis came to pass and God was 
you know, snapped out of whatever had him distracted, and now he's, he's scrambling to respond. But rather that God's hand is in the crisis. I want to get into the Word, and I think we're going to see how wonderful and powerful and how intentional God's work is going on right now in our lives. Tradition being the enemy of change, that God's calling us to change. He's continuing to perfect us. The scripture says that he's moving us from faith to faith and glory to glory. That means we're not meant to be stagnant or stationary, sitting in one place, but rather our lives are called to be an advancement of the things of his kingdom, an increase and a stirring of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the anointing that he so richly blessed our lives with through Jesus and through the baptism in the Holy Spirit. This wonderful work that God's doing in us all through Jesus has led us to this place of continual growth in Jesus Christ. But if we become stagnant, if we become still, if we don't move forward, then we find ourselves in a position where we've been steeped in tradition. I want to give you a definition for the word tradition. If we turn to the dictionary, uh, the definition of tradition, it reads as follows. An inherited or established customary pattern of thought, action, or behavior handed down from one generation to the other. Traditions can touch one individual, but by definition, then they're passed down, and they begin to touch and affect others. Now, I don't use the word tradition a lot in my own life, so when I hear the word tradition, I think of things that are are organizations or, or large groups or entities. But when I alter the word slightly, I come up with the word habit. I mean, I have habits. I can think of the habits that exist in my life. Some of them are good habits. Some of them have wonderful results. Others are not so good, and they need to be addressed or dealt with. One thing's for certain, the traditions or the habits that enter into a group or an individual will make that person's behavior or pattern of thought be consistent and unchanged. And God's calling us to constantly be moving and growing and changing for the better in his kingdom. I want to give you a passage of scripture on how God deals with tradition. Now, as we look at this, I want to encourage you to consider our current situation, our current circumstances. Now, as you're you're listening right now in the, the same day in real time, you'll be aware of what those situations or circumstances are. But should this be listened to some time from now, it might not be understood. But as we're delivering the word right here and right now, we're walking through a pandemic of coronavirus, COVID-19. I've never seen anything like it in my life, and I'm I'm sure that you feel the same way. And we've been uh, told to shelter in place, and we've been given instructions on how to prevent the spread of infection and, and things along those lines. I believe God's hand is in this. I mean, many have asked, where is God through this? I've personally sat in my times of prayer and cried out to God on behalf of of my household, my own life, my family, uh, my church family, the nation, desiring to see God's hand move in power to deliver us from this. And I think that's a wonderful prayer. I think seeking God's deliverance during a time of affliction is absolutely what we ought to be praying. But I've included another prayer. I've asked God, what are you doing? Now, not in a challenging way or a sarcastic way, but desiring to know what's going on. An awareness that he has not slumbered or he has not slept. He's not turned away and forgotten the world, but he's aware of what's going on. His his hand is very much involved. As we read here in Isaiah how God deals with tradition, 
we may get an awareness of what God's doing right here in our lives today through this crisis. If you have your Bibles there, Isaiah chapter 29. Isaiah chapter 29, beginning in verse 13. We'll go through verse 14, but then we'll also look down further in the chapter. Isaiah chapter 29, beginning in verse 13. It begins to address tradition, and it reads like this. This people draw near to me with their words. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far removed from me. Their reverence for me only consists of traditions learned. Now, according to to our goal in this message, that's really the emphasis there. That God's talking about this problem or or this challenge that exists in his people. That they love to, to declare their love or affection for him or their commitment to him, but yet their hearts are far removed. Their actions don't line up. Though they say one thing, they do another. And this is a problem. God identifies that this problem is the result of something. It's the result of all of their relationship being based upon tradition, not fellowship. So when tradition becomes the foundation for our relationship with God, it opens the door for our actions to not line up with our words, for our actual behaviors to not be in agreement with our our spoken convictions or our, our our rules or bylaws or the things that we live and operate by, they no longer become who we are. They just simply become a creed. Empty and vain in and of themselves. So God responds to this. He identifies the challenge is people are only honoring with their lips. They're not honoring with their lives and how they live. But they're only honoring with their lips. And this is the result of tradition. So he speaks now how he's going to respond to this challenge of tradition. He says, therefore, behold, I will once again deal marvelously with this people, wondrously marvelously, and the wisdom of their wise men will perish, and the discernment of their discerning men will be concealed. I kind of feel like those are the days that we're living in now. I mean, when I look at this pandemic, and, and by the way, when anyone becomes sick, when anyone suffers, when anyone dies, it is awful. It's tragic. I'm not making small of those things. But I want to look at a, a, an issue that seems to be large throughout this crisis, throughout this trial and this tribulation. So much uh, misinformation and so much confusion. I mean, I'm telling you, I've I've turned on the news and I've listened to those who were were educated and meant to be educating uh, others. And some of the information I received was almost comical. The wisdom that was being released came off as foolishness. I mean, here's an example. You may have even heard this. You know, picture yourself, you're, you're in your home sheltering in place and you turn on the TV and there's the talking head all put together and informing you what you need to do in order to make it through this pandemic. And they say, oh, the most important thing is don't leave your house. In order to stop this infection, you have to stay in your house. And in the same report, just moments later, they'll tell you that being outdoors is good because if you can be outdoors, you're much less likely to be infected. I mean, there's been so many contradictions and so many things spoken that seemed so off and so goofy. I have to ask myself, God, are you making the wisdom of our wise foolishness? Are you concealing discernment from us? And if so, could this be how you deal with something? How you deal with tradition? 
is this entire crisis that we're walking through, is your hand behind this crisis to accomplish something, to accomplish something in the lives of individuals, to accomplish something throughout the congregation and the church at large? Are you accomplishing something in your people in this time? And I have to believe the answer is yes. Because when I see how God deals with tradition, I see God's hand doing those things here and now today. But we need to understand, we need to hope, and we need to celebrate in the results that God promises. Because as you read through the chapter, as he deals with tradition, wonderful promises are fulfilled. Promises that we pray for and that we cry out for as, as a body believing and trusting in the power of God. You see miracles revealed. That the, the deaf hear and the, the blind see. That there's revival in places where there's been desolation. You see tremendous promises revealed. And these things are revealed and they're uncovered once tradition has been dealt with. I believe God's dealing with tradition. I believe that God is confounding the wise. I believe that God is, is uh, concealing the discerning heart. I believe that God is causing us to examine ourselves for the things that we've grown so accustomed to, things that have become habitual patterns in our lives, things that have become traditional. Now, tradition has potential to produce some nasty things. There's a reason why God wants to see traditions uh, not rule and reign in our lives. When traditions are misprioritized, when traditions are upheld above all else, they have the opportunity to bring some really destructive things into our lives. Jesus addressed tradition and their woes. I'll give you a few passages of scripture. I mentioned before we were going to find out what wages war against the word of God. We're going to find that here. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to look at chapter 10, beginning in verse 29. Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 29. The scripture reads like this. Jesus is speaking and he asks this question. Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your traditions? Now, I want to stop there, and I know it seems like we may be removing some of the context of that, but I want to look at that statement and what it contains. It contains the commandment of God. It contains the traditions of men, and it reveals the effect one has on the other. When the traditions of men are embraced and upheld, it leads to transgressing the word of God, the command of God. Now, transgression is an interesting word there. And when God is speaking to Moses, and this is way back in the book of uh, Exodus, God is speaking to Moses and he identifies himself as being merciful and gracious and compassionate. And he says that he forgives sin and transgression and iniquity. Now for us, oftentimes we lump all of those things together, that God is just forgiving, and, and that's okay. But I think it's helpful to understand the difference between those things. If the traditions of men can lead us to transgress against the word of God, I want to know what it means to transgress so that I can search my heart and so that I can look back upon my life to identify any place that transgression against God's word would exist and look for the potential tradition that led to it. So sin is, is when we miss, we, we simply fail. It's, it's not necessarily intentional, but it is bad and we need to deal with it. You know, and iniquity is on the other extreme when we have made the decision that 
that we want things our way and we don't care about God's way and it becomes a lifestyle or habitual. It, it can even be uh, passed on. It can be uh, uh, hereditary. And then in the middle you have transgression. Transgression in its simplest form is rebellion. It means you know it's wrong, but you do it anyway. Now, I've transgressed plenty, and I'm a father of two 10-year-old boys. I understand transgression. You know, you, you, you have simple instruction, do this or don't do that. And, and even though it's known or understood that I should do this or I shouldn't do that, what we want prevails, and we do it anyway. What Jesus is saying here is that your traditions can position you to want what you want so much that you will knowingly not do what God has instructed you to do. Now, when I hear that, I think that's bad news. I want to make sure that tradition does not have a hold of my heart or my mind for the purpose of me doing what I want rather than what God wants. There are other things that tradition has the potential to produce. Jesus speaks again about tradition in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 7. Beginning in verse 8, Jesus says this. He says that neglecting the commandment of God, you hold fast to the tradition of men. Now previously in Matthew, we heard that the, the, the tradition of men could cause us to transgress the word of God. Now in Mark, it's advanced to neglecting the word of God. I want you to consider this for a moment, that having a tradition in your heart that is misprioritized, that's placed on, on a pedestal that is, is served rather than being present to fulfill something that God's brought into our lives. When traditions become misprioritized, we have the potential to be rebellious to God's word. But then in Mark, Jesus takes that up a notch, or that we then just begin to ignore God's word altogether, just begin to neglect it. I don't just mean like not reading your Bible as much as you should or something like that. I mean, all of a sudden, God's word just doesn't matter anymore. When I look at our nation, I see these things. I see a nation who's become so self-centered, they began to do what Jesus addressed in Matthew. I want to do the, the traditions of men, the things that we say are okay, and the customs that we have, so much so that I'm willing to rebel against the word of God. I know God says not to do it, but I want to, and so I'm going to. And then the advancement of that, I see that today in our nation, where because of the traditions of men now, I want to just neglect God's word altogether. I mean, I know it says these things, but, you know, maybe it's outdated or, or maybe we ought to reconsider those things. Let's just ignore it. It's a dangerous thing. By definition, neglect means to give little or no attention to. And then Jesus continues to address traditions there in Mark chapter 7. When he reveals the result, when we become willing to transgress, be rebellious, we know what we should do, but we do what we want to do. It opens the door for us to then become those who neglect the word, who just write it off altogether. And when that takes place, something happens. Mark chapter 7 verse 13 says that these things create the right environment or the right opportunity to invalidate the word of God. It reads like this, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition which you have been handed down. There are things that we've learned. There are things that we've been taught. There are things that have entered into our lives and now become patterns. They've become habitual. 
They're the things that we would look to or lean on by the definition of of tradition. They would be the things that are inherited or established, customary patterns of thought, action, or behavior. These things can lead us away from God's word. They can prevent us from fulfilling God's word. And when they do that, they position us for transgression and then ultimately neglecting, ignoring, or writing off God's word altogether. And when that takes place, according to the scripture, the word of God becomes invalid. Let me give you the definition of invalid. Having no action or force. Let me tell you what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. I'll start by telling you what I'm not saying. When we begin to write off or neglect the word of God, it doesn't make his word not true. His word remains true. In fact, the scripture testifies the grass will wither and the flowers will fade, but the word of God will stand forever. But when we neglect the word of God, invalidating his word in our lives, we remove the power and the authority, the force that his word has to bring about its wonderful promises and deliverance. It's important for us to understand what misprioritized tradition can produce. I want to talk to you a little more about traditions, where they come from, and how we can prevent traditions from entering into our life and being misprioritized. Not all traditions are bad. God's called for traditions to exist throughout the scripture, celebrations and festivals, things that we ought to do today. So we're going to look at tradition, what makes it good, what makes it bad, how to avoid the tradition trap, to see to it that the traditions that exist in our life are those that bring about success and those that bring about an enriching, uh, a closer relationship with Jesus, not those that separate us from his word or his instruction. I want to offer this to you. Tradition is the potential trap of success. Tradition is the potential trap of success. I want to give you an area of scripture. I want to ask you to turn there. From the book of Judges. We're going to look at Judges chapter 15. I intend to paraphrase quite a bit here. It's a passage of scripture that is maybe three verses long. But it's a wonderful uh, uh, story. It's, It's true. It's not made up. It's a piece of history. But it doesn't simply read like a proverb or or a section out of the Psalms. It's a piece of recorded history that's rich with information that we can draw from in order to learn, in order to grow. And if you're there in Judges, what you're going to see is you're going to see the the main feature in this passage of Scripture is a man named, named Samson. Now he's one of God's anointed, one of God's chosen, just like you. He's been empowered and equipped to do great things, to tear down the works of Satan and to establish the kingdom of God just like you. And just like you, the anointing of God comes upon his life to do wonderful and powerful things. The anointing of God is on him when we read this passage of scripture here. I want to tell you what's going on here. Samson has enemies and they're enemies of the nation of Israel. Now, the enemies have gathered around and they want to afflict the people of God. And the people of God have gone to Samson and said, hey, we know that you carry the anointing to deal with this, so we want you to deal with it. They make a plan and they strategize how to do it. Samson's going to be handed over. He's trusting and believing that God's going to do great things. 
So his hands are bound, and he's taken out, and he's led to where there's an army of a thousand men. Now, these are enemies. Not only are they enemies, but they're ticked-off enemies. Because of the things that have gone on in the, the previous portions of this chapter, they're angry. They're furious. Not only do they have this disdain for this other nation, Israel, and this man, Samson, but they are super ticked off because of the losses that they've sustained. They're there in the midst of bitterness and anger and fury. They're armed to the teeth, and there's a thousand of them. And Samson goes, and he begins to, to move toward this thousand-man army, and the word says something happens, that the Spirit of God moves and his bindings fall off. He looks around and he finds the jawbone of a donkey. The jawbone of a donkey. He picks it up. And as his enemies close in, he can see the anger and the fury in their eyes. He begins to swing the jawbone, the anointing of God on him. The word says that by the time the battle is over, he has taken out 1,000 of his enemy's finest troops with the jawbone of a donkey. He's standing there. You know he's out of breath. He's exhausted. The passage of Scripture tells us uh, just a few passages later that that's the case. Standing there exhausted, out of breath, covered in sweat, covered in blood. It's, it's a scene that I'm sure is horrific. He's got this jawbone of a donkey in his hand. Now we look at this and we see a miraculous victory. I mean, one man has taken out a thousand armed and trained soldiers who were sent to subdue him, and he did it with the jawbone of a donkey. What an incredibly miraculous success. Now we would see this and we would begin to examine it and try to make some formula for future success. We would look at this and we would, would try to identify what went right and how can we duplicate that. I mean, jokingly, we would probably try to weaponize the jawbones of donkeys. We would patent them and we would, we would sell them. It would be the weapon of the future. We would, it would become our trade to deal in, in donkey jawbones. We would arm all of our military with it. It's an interesting word, trade, though. I mean, it's the first half of the word traditions. I want you to take a look at what takes place here in the scripture. After this great victory, Samson does something. He's had his victory. He's swung the jawbone. His enemies are defeated. He stands there and rather than begin to monopolize the jawbone, patent, trademark, and begin to distribute, this is the key to beating the Philistines. It says this in verse 17, when he had finished, he threw the jawbone from his hand. He tossed it down. He didn't carry it with him. He knew something, and we ought to take note of this. He knew that the power and the authority wasn't in the jawbone, rather it was in the anointing of God. But there's a trap with success. We begin to see the power and the authority in the method and not the power and the authority in the maker. For you and for me, the things that we deal with all the time, we need to understand that the power, that the authority, that the anointing is not in the method. Rather, it is in the relationship that we have with our Father. God is proving there that He can anoint anything 
Even that which is dead and decaying to be empowered to accomplish His will. He's revealing to us that His anointing is what matters, not the materials that we're surrounded by. Tradition is taking what worked for you and handing it down to another generation. Imagine how easy it would be for Samson to have said, this was the successful way to defeat our enemies. From now on, we'll train all of our young men in how to battle with the jawbone of a donkey. It ultimately would have led to a catastrophic failure. I mean, really and truly, I know I'm reading between the lines here, but I think if Moses would have, or sorry, excuse me, if Samson would have swung that jawbone one more time, it would have shattered. But the anointing of God was on it in the moment to accomplish God's will. Once God's will had been accomplished, Samson knew this jawbone is worthless, and he threw it aside. When we have successes, we need to avoid the trap that comes with it. The trap that it was the method that brought about the success. We need to understand that it's the anointing of God that brings about the success. And to do that, we must think differently. I mentioned to you before, we were going to think, or we were going to find out how we need to think. I want to give you a passage of scripture here. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans 12, 2, it reads like this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will prove what the will of God is, that which is acceptable, that which is perfect. Traditions aren't all bad, but they become useless once the anointing has left them. We need to have our mind renewed. To think like God thinks and not like the world thinks. The world would examine a success and want to duplicate the circumstances that led to the success. And ultimately, in the kingdom of God, that will lead to failure. But the kingdom of heaven is constantly calling us to be led by the Holy Spirit. Examining what the will of God is. Through the renewal of our mind, proving what his will is by having it revealed to us in his written word, in his spoken word, and then carried out in our lives with the success that he promises. I want to give you a passage of scripture here on how we avoid the troubles of traditions. Colossians chapter 2. I want to read verses 6 through 8. Colossians 2 beginning in verse 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus... So walk in him. That word walk means live your life. As you've received Jesus Christ, so live your life in him. Having been firmly rooted, now being built up in him, established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude, so that no one will take you captive through a philosophy, an empty deception according to the traditions of men. We're called to walk according to the words of Jesus Christ. Live our life in Him. This word in Colossians reveals four elements that need to exist in our lives to prevent from falling into the traditions of men. Living our life in Him is defined here as being firmly rooted in Him being built up in Him, established in our faith as we've been taught, and also overflowing with gratitude. 
As we close, I want to address those four things, being firmly rooted in Jesus. When I think about that, my mind goes to the roots. But I don't think that it's about the roots. It's about the soil. It's about that which is anchoring the roots. We need to examine what are we rooted in, what is supporting us, and what is providing our nourishment. Is it things of the world, the financial promise of stability and security that the world offers? Are we being nourished by the entertainment that the world provides? Or are we being supported and sustained by the things of the kingdom of God? Are we being supported and sustained by Jesus? Is he the rock, the foundation that we stand upon? And is he the vine that we are grafted into providing all of the nourishment that we so desperately need to be fruitful in the kingdom of God? Being built up in him. I love that that would be one of these elements that's necessary. That we've not arrived but we're constantly in a state of growing and maturing in Jesus. The more fellowship that we have with him, the more influence he has in our lives, and the more that we're built up in him. Being established in your faith just as you were instructed. This is the third one. I love that the word goes out of its way to use the words just as you were instructed. Being established in your faith just as you were instructed. It's a call to look at the life of Jesus Christ and have that life revealed to us as a model. All of the recorded life that we see in the gospel of our King Jesus is meant to serve as a model. He is called the apostle or the first apostle. He is the example for us. And we are meant to be established in our faith just as he instructed. We need to set his life before us. We need to read the Gospels, examine the Gospels. We need to look at the life of Jesus Christ, how he handled conflict, how he handled trial, how he handled tribulation, how he handled success. And we need to let his conclusions, his decisions, and his responses be a lesson to us in how to be built up in our faith and how we live. And then this fourth one, this fourth call, to be overflowing with gratitude. What a wonderful call to put on the life of any believer. And nobody has more cause to be grateful than the Christian. But I love that it's overflowing. That we're not just simply called to be grateful. But we're called to be overflowing with gratitude. When I think of that, I mean, it doesn't just mean I'm filled up with gratitude. It means I can't contain it all. It is spilling out. If we are overflowing with, with gratitude, it is coming out through our words. It is being revealed through our actions. It does not need to be uh, spoken of or declared because it's already obvious. God's calling us to be a grateful people, overflowing with gratitude. And as that gratitude spills out onto this world, it will have healing properties. I want to close with this thought, that God's hand is in our current situation, that he's confounding the wise, that he's concealing the discerning, so that we will be put in a position to face and address our traditions, the things that would lead us to transgress against his words, the things that would lead us to neglect his words, the things that would ultimately remove the power of his words from our life. God loves us and he cares for us so much that he's bringing us back to the power of his word to focus on it and to embrace it. He's delivering us from empty tradition and releasing us into the power of fellowship with him through Jesus Christ. I want to pray with you.
Father, we bless your name and we thank you for your goodness. You're so good to us in every way. We thank you that you're at work in us even now by the Holy Spirit. Let that work be powerful and effective. That all man-made traditions that would be misprioritized and out of place would be revealed for the empty and vain things that they are. And let them be surrendered to you. That they might be brought down and that we might be uh, renewed in our thinking and our attitudes, our behaviors, our actions. That we might walk in the midst of your kingdom. That we might walk in the power of your word. And that we might walk in fellowship, living our lives in Jesus. We bless your name and we thank you. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.